See, we added a few more people during worship. It's that morning <laughs> daylight savings time. I was like it going the other direction, but um, I was I was loved the states that didn't didn't change, because so you never had to deal with that. That was Indiana until a few years ago. I understand Arizona still stays on regular time, and uh, but I think most everybody else changes with daylight savings time. So, catch me if you can is the name of the movie starred, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. It's based on a true story about one of the greatest pretenders of all time, Frank Abagnale, a counterfeit and a phony, not the real thing. After his parents split up, 16-year-old Frank, the character played by DiCaprio, leaves home to live on his own. And the movie is an American biographical crime film based on the life of Frank Abagnale, who, before his 19th birthday, successfully performed cons worth millions of dollars by posing as a Pan Am World, Worldways, World Airways pilot. He didn't ever fly, he just sat in the jump seat, flew all over the place. He posed as a Georgia doctor and as a Louisiana parish prosecutor. His primary crime, however, was check fraud. He became so experienced that the FBI eventually turned to him to help in catching other check forgers. He manufactured checks, he manufactured new identities to help him pass those checks, and all along the way, he pretends. He's not real, the money's not real, he's just a pretender. And eventually, he, he gets caught and he serves jail time. And of course, later on in his life, he, Today, actually, he's married, and for many years now, he's worked for financial institutions, teaching them how to protect themselves from check fraud. It's an amazing story. It's a true story. True story. He lived a life, however, that was not real. And we don't like phony. We don't like pretenders. We like real. If you order a Coke at a restaurant, you don't want to be served Pepsi. We want the real thing, right? If you buy a watch that has the name Rolex, you want the real. You don't want some cheap imitation. When we buy brand name clothes, or Ralph Lauren, or Nike, or Nordstrom, or Gucci, we want the real thing. Well, there's a, there's a lot of imitation out there, but we want real. In fact, we even want real TV, as in reality shows about real life. If you don't want real TV, then you watch Hallmark Channel, but that's a different story. We want real news, not fake news. In a world of imitations, contrived, phony, and fakes, we want the real thing. We don't want counterfeit. The basis of counterfeit is deception as opposed to the real thing, which is genuine truth. Counterfeit versus real. Deception versus truth. Today, we're going to look at an account of the real thing. The real thing. If the church today is going to make a difference, if we are going to make a difference... Our church here in Eau Claire, we must have the real thing. We can't play church. We can't pretend. We can't offer substitutes or counterfeits. We cannot be phony. We must be the real thing, and we must do the real thing. We must have real power. We must have a real message and have a real mission. And we're going to look today what the real thing was and what it was not. I'd like you to turn as we continue in the book of Acts Acts, the 19th chapter today. Acts 19, we're going to read verses 8 through 20. It's on page 901 
in the Bible in the rack in front of you, or it'll be on the screen as well. Acts 19, verses 8 to 20. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. This became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, and they were seized with, with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Two weeks ago, we found Paul in Athens meeting with the Greeks at the Areopagus. And then last week, we saw his ministry in another Greek city, Corinth. Now he is on his third missionary journey where he travels through an area that we know today as Turkey. And he stops at a city called Ephesus in Turkey. And by the way, the, the first seven verses of Acts 19, which uh, we haven't actually skipped, they were included in my sermon entitled Powerful Precedents. Powerful Precedents, I, I preached that on December 11th of last year, and it can be found on our website. And I included the first part of Acts 19 as one of the six passages that describes the work of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes on human and what to expect when he comes on people. If you have not listened, if you missed that sermon, December 11th last year, please look at it. It's very important that we understand that. But we're, that was December 11th. Now we're, we're further on in Acts 19. Paul's approach to evangelism was typically to go to the Jews in the city and meet at the local synagogue. So when, when he entered the city, he would find the local synagogue and, and preach and evangelize the Jews. And the Jews, most of them, would reject the teaching that Jesus was the Messiah who came and died and was buried and resurrected. So Paul would take the Jews that actually did believe and he would change locations and together with them they would begin to evangelize the Gentiles, or the Greeks. And here we find he began meeting and preaching in a lecture hall. What was the reality of Paul's ministry? What was the reality of Paul's ministry? We're gonna start with something called real evangelism. Real evangelism. We want to know the real. When I speak of evangelism, I'm talking about the process of making disciples, followers of Jesus. And evangelism is both relational and informational. Building relationships with people to earn the right to share the information. Now let me unpack this for a minute. Everything really begins with relationship. I had a college acquaintance, 
at the University of North Dakota named Mark. I can remember his name. His name was Mark. He was an incredibly gifted and brilliant academic and musician, a trombonist, a, a, a pianist, a classical pipe organist. And I was in concert band and jazz ensemble with Mark. And before the, my last semester, uh, which was going to be student teaching, I worked a summer job as a custodian in the hospital. There was a brand new hospital in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I was working a summer job as a custodian. And one day, as I was walking through the hospital doing something, one part of the hospital, I saw Mark in one of the hospital rooms, and he was all trussed up. His leg was up in traction. He was immobilized, and I thought, what in the world? So I went in and said, Mark, what in the world happened to you? Well, Mark had been in a serious car accident, and by his own admittance, he said, I should have been killed. He had been totally wasted, he was drunk, he was high, and he was driving 90 miles an hour down a, a residential four-lane road, and where it curved, he went straight and ran into a house. His right femur had fractured and, and crushed part of the bone so that there was a, there was a gap in his bone. It, it had been crushed to powder, so they had him in traction for three to four months to allow that section of bone to grow back. He was stuck in that position. He was going nowhere for at least three months, maybe four months. Since I worked there, um, I visited Mark just about every day. And as we talked, I didn't know him well, but as he talked, he began to open up about his life, how he had tried every kind of drug there was, experimenting with alcohol, every kind of sensual activity that there was. He had tried everything, and he told me everything. And he said he was so miserable the night that he got drunk and got in his car that he didn't care what happened. And now he was here in the hospital, stuck. But we talked just about every day, and after a month, he told me that I was the only one of his friends it was still visiting him. We developed a relationship. I asked him if he wanted something interesting to read. He was brilliant. He had this brilliant mind. He said, yes. So I brought him C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and Francis Schaeffer. He is there. He is not silent. Uh, John Stott, Basic Christianity. Among a few books, a lot of these materials that, that I knew would challenge him philosophically, theologically, and in other ways. See, it started with a relationship, and then it was information. I began to share with him my own faith journey, and we discussed what he had been reading. And one day, it was about two and a half months into this, I'll never forget, I visited Mark, and he told me he had decided to follow Jesus, gave his heart to Jesus. And he said this of his accident. He said, this accident was the best thing that ever happened to me. Who in your life has God led you to intersect? Because it all begins with relationship. Relationship, earning trust, loving and caring. Just being real with people. And then earning the right. Once you get to know them, they know you care. Earning the right to give this person information. The information that God loves them. That God sent Jesus to restore this broken relationship between God and us. They can know God through Jesus Christ. Now, had I tried to share some of those spiritual things, personal things, the first time I visited Mark in the hospital, he'd have blown me off. But over time, developing that relationship, that's part of the, the incarnation of, of loving people, entering their world, becoming the word of God to them. The word becoming flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood. 
real evangelism. It's relationship and it's information. That's what Paul did. He went in and he developed relationships and he began to preach and develop information, began to share with them. So what are the characteristics of real evangelism that, that we find here in, in the, the Apostle Paul? The first one is boldness. Boldness, letter A. It said Paul spoke boldly. Now, boldness is defined as showing a readiness to take risks or face danger. It's daring, it's fearlessness or being shameless. Romans 1.16, Paul states, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He was bold. He was unashamed. Now, we don't have that boldness on our own. That kind of boldness came to the people of God on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now, there are many evidences, and we've talked about it through the book of Acts. There are many evidences of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the one evidence that is common to every one of the occurrences is boldness. Boldness. And this, this boldness is not getting worked up at a pep rally. It can happen. We can get bold because we're in a corporate worship service. But, but typically, it's because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, whether in a group setting or it can happen totally alone with God, on your knees in the family room, driving your car on the freeway, hiking on a mountain path. Boldness as God pours out and fills us totally with this Holy Spirit. Now, for too long, we've... We've been afraid of the Holy Spirit. That's that kind of spooky stuff. Father and Son, that's good. Holy Spirit, ooh, that's just kind of weird. Let me tell you something. Acts is all about this spooky Holy Spirit that does supernatural things through people and gives boldness. That's the real thing. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God takes charge, we become radical, we become convinced, we become bold, and we become fearless. That's the real thing, evangelism, is boldness. And let me just say about boldness, it's not giving you boldness necessarily to stand in front of a big group and share your faith. Sometimes it's harder and it takes more boldness to share one-on-one. -on -one. But it is a boldness that the Holy Spirit gives us. Secondly, real evangelism includes persuasion, letter B, persuasion. Said he argued persuasively. What makes you persuasive? What makes you persuasive? What makes me persuasive? I'm convinced it's true. I'm convinced it's true. I'm absolutely convinced that the volcano is going to blow. So I tell people it's going to blow. Hurry up. Or the tornado is going to hit town. I'm convinced. We're convinced we will believe. And when we're convinced, we will persuade all that we have to convince others. We'll do everything we can to convince others of the truth. Convinced. Persuaded. Persuasion. Persuasive. How convinced, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. How convinced are you? How convinced are you? How convinced are you that Jesus is the only way to God? How convinced are all of us that people that don't know Jesus are heading to a Christless eternity? Is Jesus the only way or is, are there other ways to God? I posted an article by this last week by Albert Moeller. He's the president of Southern Seminary. And his article exposes the heresy and universalism in a very popular movie and book called The Shack. If you really analyze the book The Shack, and it, it's a, I've read it, it's a nice story, it's now a movie, it's, it's right on. The problem is many 
It teaches there are many ways to God. It twists the, the relationship of the, uh, of the Trinity. There are numbers of problems, and many, many evangelical Christians embrace it and say, this is the best book I've ever seen. Because we don't know theology. If you're not sure about theology and foundational biblical truth, or you don't know, how will you ever be able to convince someone of the truth if we, you don't know it? If we don't have the intellectual the underpinnings and the foundation of theological truth and understand why is this that's said in the shack? Why can't we analyze what's happening in the shack? Why can't we see that? We must know in order to be convinced, to be persuasive. How informed, how informed are you? How convinced are you that sin is destructive and debilitating? Sins are not just lifestyle choices, but they demean and destroy humanity. How convinced are you that the basic need of every human heart is for a spiritual relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and there is no other answer to humanity's needs? Only God can fill the emptiness. Real evangelism, the real thing. We are convinced, therefore we persuade. Now we've earned the right first, Lord, hopefully, but persuading Persuasion. So what is the message of real evangelism? Let us see. It's a kingdom message. He says he's preaching the kingdom of God. Our message is the same as Paul's. It's the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God has come. What did he mean by that? He says that the, basically the gospel, the good news is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. That mankind is separated from God and Jesus came to bridge that chasm to bring us back into relationship with God. Very simple message that we can tell people. Satan was the ruler of the world, but the kingdom of God in Jesus broke into the kingdom of Satan. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to break Satan's power, his grip on humanity, and to establish God's reign on earth and set people free. That's the kingdom of God message. The kingdom of God is not, not a political one. It's not right wing and left wing or chicken wing. Okay? It's not Democrat, it's not Republican, it's not independent. It's not an ethnic kingdom, American, European, Muslim, Hispanic, or Asian. This kingdom is in the hearts of men and women. It's the rule of Jesus in our hearts. It transcends political, ethnic, and geographical boundaries. The kingdom of God is in our hearts affecting our lives and loyalties. And our message, the real thing, is proclaimed with boldness and persuasion, and it is that God can change your life through Jesus Christ and free you from Satan's power and tyranny. Turn your life over to King Jesus. That's the kingdom message of God. Real evangelism is also longevity. Longevity, it takes time, letter D. It takes time. Paul started out three months and he stayed on for two more years. Our mission, real evangelism, is carried out over time because when we evangelize individuals, we build relationships, gain credibility, and love people, serve people that we're trying to reach. It takes time, it takes investment. We demonstrate the love of Jesus by becoming the flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood, becoming one of them. It takes time. During the week, we are the church in dispersion. Now we're the church together. We're gathered and we're scattered. At, corporately, as a church, it takes time to connect to our neighborhood. It takes time to connect. Now, we are, we are a turnaround church right now. 
We're, we're church in transition. Now, a year ago, we did uh, a survey called the Natural Church Development, uh, measuring the health of our church, and we found that we had some unhealth. It takes time for a church to become unhealthy, and it takes time for a church to become healthy, to regain our health. And we're just, we're just redoing those surveys to see what progress we've made over the last 12 months. As a, we're all family here. We know that we've lost some people over the last year. And when a branch is unhealthy, not bearing fruit, it needs to be pruned. Now, I'm not saying that people that left or pruned are not good people, but they need to find a place of fruitfulness. If they can't be fruitful in one place, they need to be fruitful in another place. There are legitimate reasons to make changes. And sometimes, some of you came from somewhere else because you were wanting to find a place of fruitfulness. And, and that's all well and good. As long as, the, as long as the reasons are for the right reasons. The thing that we need to be careful of is to make sure that people are positive. Positive. We, we learned in Connect Groups last fall that uh, in the book Loving the Church, to attack the church or say negative things about the church, any church, Bethesda, Jacob's Well, the Baptist Church, whatever, any part of the body of Christ, to say anything, say anything negative or attack the church is to attack Jesus. And that's why we say, you know what? We are going to speak positive about the kingdom, staying positive and supportive. Now, when we try to build positive community relationships, sometimes we have to counter the negative narrative that's being spread by our detractors. That it comes to the territory. There will be negative things said about you. I mean, it happens in our lives personally. People say negative things about you. Might say negative things about the church, our church, another church. Our job is to, is to stay positive. Whatever things are positive, lovely, of good report, think on these things. And we hope that we can, as a church, with longevity moving forward, continue to build positive relationships with our community. Not only relationships individually, but our church. One of the, one of the most exciting things that I see are the, the connect groups that are doing positive things out in the community um, to demonstrate the love of Jesus. The youth sending gift bags to every teacher at, at the high school across the street. And it's like, wow, these are building positive relationships, longevity. It takes time. Finally, real evangelism takes follow-through. Follow-through. Verse 10, it says, all heard the word of the Lord. And as usual, there were two reactions. There was unbelief and belief. Always have that. And in the context of real evangelism, we're going to find unbelief and belief. But we also find, number two, real power. Real power. Answered prayer is the first one. All through the book of Acts, we find that the followers of Jesus prayed and sought God. And I can tell you that the effectiveness of Paul's evangelism, the power source, was the prayers of God's people. And anything that happens here at Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, whether we're dispersed or together, gathered or scattered, can be attributed to the prayers of God's people. Thank you for praying. You don't get awards for praying. A lot of times people don't know you're praying. That's okay. You know you're praying. And we depend on the prayer power for this church to go forward. Secondly, we had healings. Healings in verse 11 to 12. This is kind of, this is kind of the, one of those interesting things. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some would call this the hanky method. 
the Hanky method of, of whatever. Now, it doesn't say that Paul did the miracles, but that God did the miracles through Paul. God did the miracles through Paul. Real power comes from God. In fact, Psalm 62, 11 says, once God has spoken twice, I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. But God uses people. He didn't have to. But God uses and chooses to use people. Did you know that God can use you to do miracles? Miracles. Real power, that's what we have been given. Real power. And next we see conversions, letter C. People were believing the message and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There was new birth, there was transformation. Our, our, our motto is love God, love people, be transformed. And it says in Acts that the, the people were being transformed daily. It was the norm. It was expected that people would come to Christ. And the question is this, do we expect people to come to Christ? We, we're beginning to see people come to Christ through this church in different places. And, and we've talked about that since the first part of the year, that people have come to Christ. What do we expect we will keep telling and inviting and expecting people to come to faith in Jesus Christ here. The expectancy is that people can be saved every Sunday at this church. When we have the real thing, the real power, we will see people come to Christ, transform, expect it, come with expectancy. We expect to meet with God. We expect to hear from the word of God and be transformed, but also expect people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. A real expectancy. Fourth, when we have real power, we see people are set free. In verse 12, it says the evil spirits left them. Now, now we're getting kind of spooky, right? No, this is real. This, this is real power that sets people free. And I hope to teach later on, maybe in, in the fall or sometime next year, uh, a series on spiritual warfare. Uh, be aware, not alarmed. We need to be aware of what, what's going on in the, in the heavenlies. But there is real power that is setting people free. These are answers to prayer, these are healings. The healings were physical, they were emotional, they were psychological, they were social, they were relationships, there are marriages, they're spiritual healings as well. Bringing people to wholeness in whatever way that they're, they're needed. Conversions, people set free, real power, it's the real thing. And we see this in the book of Acts and we see it in Eau Claire Wesleyan Church people being set free, people being healed. We don't always hear everything, but God's doing some special things here. Power. Now with this real evangelism, real power, we, next we find the real phony, the real phony, number three. In the middle of these extraordinary events, these displays of power, uh, people came to counterfeit the real. They thought the power was in Paul. They thought the power was in the formula or in the words. And as we see, not one of these carried the power. The power rests with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It rests with Jesus. As we, as we look at this city, Ephesus, we find that the, Ephesus was full of exorcists and, and magicians, those who dabbled in occult powers. They had a great business operating. They were making a great living by doing these kinds of things. And in their practice of the magic arts, they believed that if they possessed the proper formula, they could make unseen powers do their bidding. So if I say the right words, the right formula, these unseen spiritual powers will do what I say. And they had observed the incredible power in the name of Jesus held 
when, you, when used by Paul for exercising, he used this name Jesus to exercise demons. Then they said, great, a more powerful formula. They thought if they used the same formula, the same oath, the same spell or charm, they could get the same results and drive out the spirits. But they were wrong. They were counterfeits and they possessed counterfeit power and the demons knew it. The demons knew it. We must be extremely careful not only in dealing with demon possession but with all spiritual warfare. We must have real power. And the real power isn't resident in my hands or yours. It's not in your words. It's not in a formula. It's not in an oath. The power is resident in God. The power is resident in God. There is no power in the name without the power of the person of that name. And when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the living God, by the person and power of Jesus, then we can use the name of Jesus. Let me illustrate. When I perform a wedding ceremony and marry two people, I say these words. By the power vested in me as a minister in the state of Wisconsin, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And my words carry the power to make them husband and wife, along with my credentials and the marriage license and the laws, etc. But my words spoken make them husband and wife. The change from two to one are affected by my words because the authority is given me to use them. Now, anybody else can walk around and they can see dating couples and they, they can say, I pronounce you husband and wife, I pronounce you husband and wife. I you, know, you can say, I pronounce you husband and wife, it doesn't matter because they don't have the authority, to, it doesn't matter. It's not going to have the power because they don't have the authority. It doesn't make it so. The words have no effect and no power because they have not been granted that authority. We are granted authority and power to use the name of Jesus under his authority, operating in his kingdom in submission to his leadership. We can use the name of Jesus. And we have power. Power is in God. We have that relationship with God. Now these sons of Sceva lacked that relationship and the power. They had counterfeit power. And then we find real danger, number four. We see real danger. Now these guys are outnumbered seven sons to one. Seven to one. And one of my, I'll, I'll have to admit, maybe my sense of humor is just kind of strange, but, but one of my favorite lines in the book of Acts is this line that says, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Well, it's just, it's, it's like comedic. It's, it's, just, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. But it's amazing that, that and I'd love to see what Luke does when he puts these things down, when, when he talks about, this interaction between the demon and these sons of Sceva. At this point, I think I would have said, I think we're in big trouble. It's not working. And it's not funny because you may be the one in the middle of a life and death struggle yourself and Satan's trying to destroy you and you use the name of Jesus and the enemy says, who are you? The results can be devastating. The demon-possessed man had superhuman strength, just like the demoniac in Mark 5. He leaped on them, he subdued them, they tore their clothes and wounded them. He basically annihilated them. If all we have, people, in this world is counterfeit power, if all we have is counterfeit power, it's dangerous. But we have weapons of our warfare. We have prayer. 
praise, fasting, the Word of God, truth, righteousness, salvation, testimony, commitment, faith, and the name of Jesus. I just listed a whole bunch of weapons of our warfare. It's not a formula. It's the authority. So what do you have? Real results. Number five. What happened as a result? Real evangelism, real power. Contrasted with the real phony, everyone heard, first of all. Everyone heard. Not all believed, but everybody heard. It was word of mouth. Real power overcomes the counterfeit, and everybody finds out. Secondly, everyone feared. They were all seized with fear. They stood in awe of the power exhibited through Paul and the disciples. And because of that, Jesus' name was held in high honor. When we become the real power of Jesus and invoke the authority we have in the name of Jesus, people will honor and revere the person and name of Jesus. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said to his disciples, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. When real power is exhibited, letter D, there's confession and repentance. In verses 18 and 19, 18 or 19, says many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery through the scroll, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. When the real power of God is released, people are moved to repent and confess their sins and to make a total clean break from their past. And many did so. When we have spiritual victory, when God exhibits his power and moves through us, Many will confess and disclose private sins and practices. Many people, many people are under a spiritual spell and darkness and spiritual bondage. Even many Christians have private contacts with the spiritual realm. There are overt ways that people do that, whether it's Ouija boards or seances or mediums or dabbling with the occult or listening to evil music, and I'm talking about lyrics, not style. They check the horoscope, or they, some people are into illicit drugs, which basically open a, give an opening for the enemy. Maybe it's covert, flirting with sin, or materialism, or entertainment, pornography, sensuality, pride, independence, or idolatry of some sort. Why does the church not experience power today? Sometimes because there's no confession or repentance. That must be part and parcel of a daily existence of confessing and repenting of our sins to be holy before God. We cannot have real power without confession and repentance. That's called holiness, holiness. The effectiveness of our church is dependent on that action taken by you and me. And where there's confession and repentance, there's letter E, there's forgiveness. Forgiveness, the most incredible thing we get forgiven. The final result, we see the word of God spread and grew in power. In verse 20, it says, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Wow, grew, even got more powerful? Yes, it said it grew in power. Do you have the real thing today? Or counterfeit? Any counterfeit will do, but only one real thing. The name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, based on the person of Jesus, your relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. The real 
thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have shown us the real, you've shown us a counterfeit, and I pray, God, that you would move in our lives, that we would have the real deal, the real power from you. And that anything that would get in the way of that, Lord, we'd be able to lay at your feet and just give it to you. And Father, that, that you would move in our hearts, that you would break the hold of, uh, of the chains that bind us in the person and the name of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? Father, may we live in that power so we are under your authority and we can exercise the power. The name of Jesus that breaks every chain. Father, send us out, Lord, to make a difference, to break every chain. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you.